Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Center here at the Ag PhD Field Day site. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. We're just wrapping up the Ag PhD Soybean Workshop and we've got a live audience here that we'll be taking questions from in just a second. If you're interested in raising high-yielding soybeans, I think it is it, it is uh, quite uh, a different topic sometimes than it is for corn. We got into planting population discussions in addition to a lot of the management practices needed for good nematode control, some of the new pests like soybean gall midge and much more. So it should be uh, should be an interesting show today as, as we take some questions. You've got one already to start? All right, let's get started. Hi, Jim from South Dakota. I've been at your seminar here today and learned a lot. We were talking about combining beans at wetter amount to net more money. Have there been any studies done on the shattering? It used to be the shattering seemed to be less the wetter they were cut. They were a little tougher and you wouldn't lose as much in the shatter. And then also second question was be um, packing the beans at like a, a V1 or a V2, rolling them. There's been, I've read some stuff in like Farm Journal it was, where they've done some of that in the past. It seems to increase the bean yields. Okay, uh, so a couple of questions there. And when we think about, uh, let's let's talk about uh, rolling or packing those, those fields first. Yes, if you've got rocks, if you've got very uneven ground and you want to get closer to the ground to catch those very bottom pods, uh, that is something that can be a positive. You've got some risks with it, of course. One of the things that we've seen where ground gets uh, really tilled up and then packed that, that blowing can be a, a big issue, and we see some wind erosion loss. I, I can just remember a field not too far from our farm that we saw a few years back where it was it was quite a dust storm coming out of there. So there are some concerns, but yes, if you've got rocks, if you've got really rough ground, that, that can be a practice that can allow you to get down safely with your header a little lower. Yeah, but to make a blanket statement that it increases yields, we're not going to say that. We haven't really seen that on our farm, uh, but... You know, rolling can be something that's super important. There are a lot of people that really like it. In terms of less shatter, uh, yeah, the, the wetter you're going to harvest the beans, the less chance you have for that harvest loss or pre-harvest loss. So it's very common when we're out walking in fields right before harvest, like literally before the combine runs through, you can see a few beans here and there on the ground. So where we see more of that shatter problem is where beans have had to go from wet, dry, wet, dry. So if you get little shots of rain, I, I, let me say this too. Right before we start soybean harvest every year, I'm praying for just a little bit of rain, even if it's a tenth of an inch, because then some of the spots in the field that got too dry, they get wetter again. But if that repeats itself two or three times, we do see more problems. But yeah, we want to try to get out there right away if we can, even, you know, whether it's 12, 13, 14% moisture, the first time it drops down to that, that's when we have typically the least amount of harvest problem. Well, the other thing too, Brad, if we've got a little bit of moisture, we have a lot less fire risk too. And that was something when we got into extreme dry conditions, we just never seen that in my lifetime that I remember anyway, of having a, a major fire risk. But when things get really dry, yeah, that, that's not good. So a little bit of rain ahead of harvest sure helps with that too. You know, when you think about taking crop wetter, you've got to be set up to handle that. And that's why we talk about bin fan controls as much as we do. It allows you to take beans a little bit wetter, get them into the bin. And I think about some of these years where we just have a cold fall or we have lots of rain. We just can't get the beans out of the field because they, they just don't dry down enough. By being able to take them early, it, it sure adds 
time in the fall, which is really, really valuable here. All right, so if you've got a question for us, just raise your hand. We'll come around to you with the mic, and, uh, and you can ask a question. We ran through a lot of stuff today with soybeans, everything from herbicides, insecticides, fungicides, talked a little about soil fertility, a little bit about tiling, um, and we went through some of the, the plot Brad, things. Brian always says it's a little bit about tiling. It could, have, it could have even been like three hours on tiling, and Brad say, well. you know, probably not enough time on tiling, but, <laughs> but yeah, we got into it just a little. All right, so if you give us your first name and state you're from, that'd be great. Uh, Joe from Jackson, Minnesota, and I uh, was wondering... In the first step soybean plots, yeah. what have you learned in there over those, what, four years that you're using on your whole farms now? Well, so what, what Joe's talking about is at our Ag PhD field day, and, and for those of you in the room, you know this already, but uh, for, for our listeners, you may not have been to our field day before. We had a number of different really successful farmers from around the country uh, raising soybeans on our farm too. So we had soybean plots. We had a bunch of different guys managing them of, hey, here's what I would do if I saw that soil sample and I was growing it in your conditions with your weather. And so we were trying lots of different things. We call them the first steps to high yield, so the first step plots. In those plots, we had guys from the south, uh, like Matt Miles was one of them, and Matt started using fungicide all the way out to R5. And that was something we hadn't done on our farm before. Typically, if we had white mold, which was our worst disease that we were fighting, We'd spray at R1 and R3, which would be first bloom and first pod, and that would be it. And we'd say, well, we've, we've made it now. And Matt, the very first year he's up here, was spraying at R4, R5, and still putting a third shot of fungicide out there. And he just thought that protection was really important to him, and it turned out for us that very next year it was really important for us too. So I know that was something we picked out, that guys were using fungicides differently. And I think Matt even was the first one to do fungicide in furrow on soybeans up here, which was the first time we had done that too. So it was kind of neat just to see from a disease management standpoint what, what guys were doing. Yep, and the more I've looked back on it now, like I had mentioned today with Matt Miles, he was doing this foliar K stuff, and I'm going, man, he kept beating me on yield, so we probably need to be doing that. Still haven't done much of that. But that's something I would say that we, we, we do probably need to do. We've been trying to do it mostly with, with soil fertility. And so like at the corn workshop that we did a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this very question, what, what have we learned? And we just said, hey, with corn and soybeans in our geography, we're getting better success with fertility in the soil as opposed to foliar. You can do a little bit foliar, but you know, to make that much of your program is really hard. So I, I would say we, we did kind of learn that too, that all these different foliar treatments, many of them didn't work, but the foliar K thing, that's something that I, I just, I think we got to do a little bit more of, and it doesn't cost that much money. We learned some lessons on soil pH as well, and we'll probably talk about that here a little bit more as the Ag PhD radio show continues. We're broadcasting today following the Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop, and we'll be right back. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like Water Hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. 
During the Bronze Age, grain sorghum was a common crop in developing agriculture. Today's technology has changed virtually everything, but grain sorghum largely hasn't changed until now. Introducing Emiflex herbicide, paired with iGrowth non-GMO herbicide-resistant grain sorghum, this duo controls foxtail and other tough weeds pre- and post-emergence so you can grow like never before. Make history in your sorghum makers. Start today at sorghumpotential.com. Always read and follow label directions. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? I'm Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answers to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Tuesday, February 15th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, and more. If you want to make raising soybeans more lucrative and fun, you don't want to miss the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. When it comes to weed control, our cards have always been on the table because we believe you deserve near zero volatility, flexible tank mixing, and a wide application window. That's the Enlist Weed Control System, just better, with no ifs, ands, or buts. Discover better weed control. Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site, following the Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Taking questions from our audience, we'll get back to another question here. Ted from Nebraska. In your plot, you talked about twin rows. What was the other um, row width, and how deep were they planted, the soybeans? Yep. 30-inch rows would have been the other row width, and they would have been planted about an inch to an inch and a half deep. One of the things that we didn't, and I'm glad you brought that up because I, I didn't, we didn't put it in the book and it's something we didn't talk about at all today, but we should have. What is the right planting depth for soybeans? So usually we'll say an inch to an inch and a half deep, and that's great in normal conditions. But this spring, at least here on our farm, we did not have normal conditions. We were exceptionally dry. We'd had virtually no rain since the 4th of July the year before. So we had our people whether it was on the research side or just on our farm, plant a little bit deeper than normal to try to hit moisture. So normally we don't like planting soybeans at two or two and a half inches deep or anything else for a couple of reasons. Number one, we have more likelihood of crusting. And I mean, with soybeans, they just don't seem to have a lot of energy to push through the crust sometimes. And then the other thing is when you have your soybeans planted deeper, it just takes more total energy to push out of the ground. And so a lot of times that does hurt yield a little bit. But in super dry situations like this, we like planting to moisture, whether it's corn or beans, because you stop and think about it. If we're bone dry, what are your chances for crusting problems? Pretty darn slim. And I'm not too worried about the energy it takes to push through in our, even in our heavy soils, because there isn't the moisture that we usually, the, the soil's heavier when it has more moisture. It didn't have any moisture. So it was easy to push through that. So this year we did plant just a little bit deeper on, on our farm and research. But anyway, going back to the years where we did the first steps plots, it was all planted inch to an inch and a half deep all the time. Yep. All right, let's take our next question over here. Hi, I'm Wayne from Minnesota. But uh, quick question uh, in regards to fixing nitrogen. We didn't talk a lot about it in the session here, but um, just wondering if, if you guys 
try to practice this a lot or try to use any products or practices that would increase uh, the fixation of nitrogen at all? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, we use soybean inoculant all the time. We like it. One of the one of the things that I learned when I went to Brazil, I've been there a couple of times, but the first time I was there that, that stood out to me was these guys with soybeans going back on soybean ground were inoculating every time. And I asked them, you know, is that because you haven't had soybeans here that terrible many years? And they're like, well, we've had soybeans in this field for I don't even know how many years. And they, they said, we're still getting a gain every year, putting more on because they've got better strains than what we're going to have just out there of, hey, in a um, survival of the fittest world in our soil, are the very best strains for my crop going to be the ones that are left? Odds are probably not. Probably just the toughest ones in nature. So the ones that work best with my crop, I'm going to apply every year and get a gain. So that was really telling for us. And I think you know over the years, inoculants have kind of gotten an unfair shake probably because they aren't the sexiest thing. They, they don't cost very much money. I mean, it's such a, a low dollar input, a buck or two or something for an inoculant. And so I, I don't think guys really expected much out of them. And it seemed to be one of those easy things to cut when times were tough. Well, they, they really work. And the return on investment is there if you run the numbers. Okay, but I want you to think about this. You put a soybean inoculant on, you're hoping to gain one to five bushels. All right, let's be honest. For everybody in the room, we're trying to gain a lot more than one to five bushels. So to your question, though, because we know, like with nitrogen, the soybean needs a crazy amount of nitrogen. So what do we want for the best environment for rhizobia bacteria to produce nitrogen for that plant? Uh, one of the things we're looking for is a relatively neutral pH in the sixes or low sevens. That's great. If we're in the fours or fives, if we're up in the eights, those things aren't good for survivability. Drainage, super important because we need air in that soil. If the microbes don't have air, they die. So we want to have good drainage. And also, we don't want just good drainage during the season. We want it year-round because you stop and think about it. If adding inoculant only gains you one to five bushels, but yet we know there's tremendous nodulation on soybeans, what's that tell you? That tells you that most of the microbes were already there in the soil before. Well, how do we kill them all off? I just said we have poor drainage. So think about your drainage in the fall, in the winter, in the early spring. A lot of people say, ah, I don't care about drainage then. Well, you should, because if you want a healthy soil, you want a soil that's alive, then you got to keep the air in that soil year-round, not just during the growing season. Another way to do that, reducing compaction. In addition to that, having good calcium levels in the soil. The more calcium you have in your soil, we want like 65, 75% calcium in the soil. So then we have good porosity in the soil so air can go down a little bit deeper. Beyond that, just having good overall fertility out there that allows the roots to grow more because they're bringing more food in. And what, how do microbes even find the plants or colonize on the plants or reproduce or anything well, the plants kick out sugar. So the healthier the plant is and the better the plant's doing to start, the more sugar they kick out or that each plant kicks out. And then the more colonization, the more rhizobia are there. So there are a lot of things that you can do besides just inoculating. All right, let's take another question over here. Uh, Gerald from Minnesota. Uh, gall midge, does that overwinter in the grass and the ditches? It sure could, yep, and and definitely in soybean stubble. So, 
You want to be concerned about all those places. Yeah, it's not blowing up each year. It's it's here. Do we really know that it's in the grass, or is it just in the soybean stubble? Well, I know it's in the soybean stubble. Right. We, we don't know. There's suspicion that it might be elsewhere, but I, I think it's mainly in the soybean stubble. Yep. So if it's in that soybean stubble, and we know that those flies don't move very far, one of the questions, well, it, an interesting thing that a guy brought up is he goes, hey, if they're only going 100 to 200 feet in the field, why don't I just plant the first 100 to 200 feet to corn then? And then I plant inside as soybeans. I'm well, like, they'll, they'll okay. Go, they'll go a little further then. Yeah, but that's where the worst damage is. But anyway, when we start looking at how are we going to control this pest, we are talking about with flies, a lot of times we will see them at least in grass. I don't know if they're laying their eggs there or whatever, but that's why people are spraying the ditches and the field borders in addition to just you know those, but, those outside but here's rows. Some, let me throw something out to you, Brent. Yep. What about this? What if there's a cover crop that they would want to attack instead? What if there was something else you planted? Maybe it's even sacrificial beans in that outside edge of the field. And he said, you know what? I'm going to plant some sacrificial beans out in the end of the field and put put some corn in there too. And you know what I mean? Plant like soybeans in between the corn rows or something. So they attack that and then you kill the beans off anyway. If we kill the beans off, don't let the bugs go through their full life cycle. Maybe that would be something. You know what I mean? There's probably yeah. going to be an alternative yeah. strategy that we come up with to try to wipe these things well, out. Well, honestly, just like with University of Nebraska, when they said cultivating, I'm like, what? That's not going to work. Well, and then I think you, you any, literally, we saw pictures cultivating of the could help. Brian's just going to rule that out right out the bat. He does not want to go back to that. But we saw, Bad picture, we saw pictures of the rows <laughs> and where they were cultivating. It's like, sure enough, those beans are fine. See, and the they good, don't the good thing, have Brad, the there's garbage. auto steer now. There's auto steer. So you could just click that auto steer on, and he wouldn't have to worry about that. You wouldn't have to worry about running anything over. It would be okay. It would be okay. All right, let's take another question back here. Yeah, this is Tom from Wisconsin. Looking at one of your charts here about the soil potassium percentage of the base yep. set of the base. Yep. It's kind of counterintuitive where the the yield is lower when you put on more potash and uh, have a higher percent base uh, saturation on your potassium. It, you think maybe that could be from all the potash you put on last year and the chloride that was in the potash? There's been some studies coming yep. out of Minnesota that shows that chloride is pretty detrimental to to uh soybean production have you considered that oh yeah i mean it, it absolutely could be it also could be like i had brought up where we have some of the best potassium levels that's where we had the, some of the most hail this year so uh, something that completely was separate to it that could have hurt uh the other factor in here and we brought this up today we we have put out a lot of p and k in our strip till down eight to ten inches deep right below where the soybean plant was so was the plant relying on a lot of the uh, what was already in the soil, or was it using that fertility that we'd put out with strip-till? So yeah, there are a lot of things there. And then the other thing is, if you go a couple of slides ahead of that there, and for those in, in our audience here, it's on page 28, the magnesium to potassium ratio. Maybe we pushed the potassium too far in relation to how much magnesium that we had in the soil. So there are several things there that we got to look at. And I'm sure we're going to find those answers here in the next couple, three years. But great question. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, 
three no-excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitec Fungicide from BASF. That's smart. Always read and follow label directions. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market, making claims of improving soil health and plant development. But which products will work best on your farm? Well, that's why we're devoting a full day to our first ever Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Wednesday, February 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at farmshopmfg.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now... You can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton Center today on the site of the Ag PhD Field Day. We just had an Ag PhD soybean agronomy workshop today. Tomorrow we're doing something a little bit different. It's what we call a naturals workshop. We're going to talk about biological products, natural products, plant growth hormones, uh, amino acids, just a lot of, I, I'd call this a little bit the new frontier with agriculture, but it's growing tremendously. If you're interested in coming to that, it is free. So it's tomorrow at the Morton Center at our, our Ag PhD Field Day site near Baltic, South Dakota. Just go to agphd.com to learn more. Let's get back to our questions from the audience. Go ahead. Jay from Iowa. Question I had in a corn soy rotation. If you wanted to try that contans in a high white mold area, would, would you apply it right after the soybeans and then would you do a one treatment or a second treatment after the corn too or how would you best manage that okay so contans and the the product he's asking about that is a fungus it's a natural fungus that 
will literally eat the sclerotia, which is basically the fruiting body for the, uh, for the sclerotinia white mold. So anyway, this product is pretty unique because it's got to be kept frozen until right before you're going to use it. So if you get product that hasn't been kept frozen, don't take it because it's probably dead. So that's the first thing that I would tell you. The second thing is to specifically answer your question, um, well, I'd love to do it multiple times and super high rates. It's, it's very only, it's expensive. It's only 34 bucks. It's not terrible, Brian. That's for two pounds. Yep. So yeah, yeah 17 or 18 bucks a pound. And, and when uh, white mold wipes out your 90 bushel beans and makes them zero, you say, ah, you know what? I might try some more stuff. So, yeah, I, I mean, for me, I'd do it right after I harvested soybeans, yes. but the second best time would be now. So if you say, well, uh, I harvested soybeans last fall, I'll get out there in the spring. Okay, that's cool. I would spread it in those areas where you had white mold and call it good. I wouldn't yep. do the entire field no. unless you had white mold in the entire field. But you, some guys say, well, I'm planting soybeans this year. I'm going back into a field that had them really bad a couple of years ago. You can spread it in the spring, too. You're still giving it quite a bit of time to work, uh, yeah, but it, it just takes time. Yeah, the reason why we want it done right after the soybeans, if you can, you don't have to, but if you can, is because right then, right after harvest, all the sclerosis is laying right there. And so you got a much better chance to physically get that contents in contact with the sclerotia. That's really ultimately what we're after. So that's where you get the best control. Yep. And yeah, we've used it. It's just, you, you don't want to use it everywhere. Use it in spots like Darren said. All right, let's take another question. Uh, Martin Davis from South Dakota. And we bought a soil warrior last year and our dealer had suggested um, planting soybeans with it. Uh, I was just wondering if you guys have had any um, experience with it or i guess our main concerns are uh depth inconsistency and then crusting of the zone um would you guys have any concerns doing it or have you tried it at all well first of all i'm a worrier by trade so i have concerns about everything um would would that worry me sure i i mean I'll just say this. Soybeans are much more resilient than corn, though. They can withstand some different things, and we don't have to have an absolute perfect stand. Even the example I gave uh, during our workshop today was if you started at 140,000 and you're planting relatively early in cold soils and you end up with 112,000, that's 80%. And that's what the standard cold germ is, so I'd be fine with that, actually. But anyway, um, specifically to your questions, I'd say... Am I worried more about crusting with that than I would be with a normal planter? I don't think so. Uh, I'm going to be worried either way. And the blacker I make that soil, the more I worry about crusting. So anytime we have some residue out there, that does help alleviate some of the crusting issues. We've seen less problem in no-till, maybe a little less in strip-till, but not too much less. It's not a whole lot different than regular planting. Um, in terms of the depth, I don't know. I can't answer that question specifically because we haven't used the machine for that purpose. It had been suggested to us, hey, why don't you guys try this? Why don't you do some of this? And I just said, I don't know. I got a perfectly good planner here. Why, what yeah. do I need to do yeah, that Yeah, that was for? kind of my thought is you probably didn't buy the machine to be a soybean planter. I know the machines are expensive. They are. They're heavy built. They last a long time. They do a great job. We, we really like our soil warrior too. Uh, and I, I don't know. You know, I think they're always looking for new things. I do think the uh, planting of cover crops with them, I think, is maybe a better option. If you said, I, I really want to use it to plant something, uh, and there are some guys that are doing that. Uh, but, 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 yeah, as far as 
planting my primary crop, I'm going to leave that up to the planter. I'm going to try and be precise. I'm going to try, I, actually, personally, I like to singulate soybean seed if I possibly can. Um, and that's something just to watch. So if you do it, do it on a small scale. Try it out. I'd prefer to do it on my brother's ground just in case something doesn't work out. Uh, and then just get out. Be bad. And just get out during the year and look at those plants and see what you learn compared to where, where you're doing it with your plant. But yeah, I had a question today from a farmer just asking about, hey, I'd like to go to wider soybeans. I'm 20 inch on corn. That's great. I'd like to be 30 on soybeans, but I don't know. Okay, so it, like in that case, yeah, if I had a machine or a different machine that I could use instead of my planter, or put it another way, there are a lot of people looking for a second planter now because they're like, boy, early planting soybeans is great, but I don't want to give up my early planting corn. How do I do this? So lots of different situations. Good question. All right, right. another question over here. Merrill Lee from Iowa. Uh, Kind of a two-part question. I was curious about singulation also, what your experience has been in that, what kind of a recommended population would be. And also, as far as the node placing on a soybean plant, what is kind of a prime target spacing that you want to look at for node placement on plants? The gap between the nodes, you mean? Yeah, I, I think this is kind of interesting. So uh, one of the guys that, that we talked about a little bit today and, and learned some lessons from at our field day has been Kevin Matthews out of North Carolina. And I got a chance to go out to Kevin's farm and look at some of his soybeans in the field. And he was telling us, oh, man, we got too much internode elongation here on some of these beans on our farm just based on weather and other things that, that had happened here. And I said, well, what would you really like, Kevin? He goes, I want pods laying on top of pods, laying, I want them to touch. I want them that tight. And I said, man, you either have some really long pods or you have some really short internodes. I'm not sure which one. And so I ended up going out to his farm and I think he had both, but uh, it was pretty fantastic. He, he was doing different things to shorten internodes. I know Kip Cullors has talked about that on our show, that that's been one of his real focuses in soybeans is trying to find whether it's a PGR or a product that could help him shorten that gap because he didn't want to get all this big vegetative growth. And, man, it's tricky where he's at planting a group four or a, or a late group three. They, they've got just great big plants. Like Brandon's talking about chest-high beans. Kip says his problem is they'll get taller than him, and he's six feet tall. So he's really worried about keeping that height down and shortening those internodes. But early the problem plant, is we early... don't have a specific thing where we can say, oh, yep, you just do this four-step plan here, and your beans are going to be no, two we feet don't, shorter. we don't have that, but that, that is one of the things people like about the early planted soybeans, that those first nodes at least are a little closer together. That's been one of those things anyway. All right, so you also asked about soybean singulation. So this is one of the few things I would say agronomically that Darren and I are still debating about because it takes it takes it a while for me to prove things to Brian. That's the problem. So if you go out in fields, so here's here's a great way to understand singulation and beans on your own farm this year. You don't have to do anything different. Do nothing different. Just walk out to your field, pull back the canopy on your beans. And look for the plant that's by itself that has, whatever, an inch or two gap on either side of it. And then look for the ones that dropped as doubles through your field. And then count how many pods are on each one. And then tell me what you think about singulating soybeans. To me, what I'm seeing and what my observations have been is more pods on the singulated beans than on both plants combined when you drop a double. Uh, So Brian, Brian doesn't know because he gets tired of counting when he gets so many pods. 
So if he only has 20 or 30 pods, he's all in on counting that. But when it's like 40, 50, 60, 80, 100, he's like, oh, too many. Nope. Can't so work. Can't at, work. At this point, I don't think soybean singulation makes any difference. Uh, but here, here's, here's one interesting thing I want to leave you with before we take our next break. I actually hope that I'm wrong almost every day. And I want you to think about this. So most people want to be right. I'd rather be wrong. Here's why. Because right to me is this is already the way we're doing it. All right. I want to be wrong because I want to find something that gives me more yield. So I hope Darren's right. I just, I, I just haven't seen it yet where the singulation makes a difference. Because usually what I see is the two together equal what that one is. So what difference did it make? Sure, I'd like to just have one, but that's the way it goes. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low use rate Authority Supreme herbicide from FMC combines group 14 and group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. This is a wake-up call for you and your field's microbiome from Source by Sound Agriculture. Source is a revolutionary foliar-applied biochemistry that doesn't rely on bulky nutrients or finicky biologicals to wake up your soil and unlock more nutrients per acre, all with a low use rate. It's like caffeine for microbes. Source works with the soil you've already got and the equipment you already use. So if you're a grower, go to sound.ag and learn more. And if you're a microbe, time to rise and shine. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answers to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Tuesday, February 15th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, and more. If you want to make raising soybeans more lucrative and fun, you don't want to miss the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like Water Hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions.
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Oh, man, we are talking soybeans today on the show following the Soybean Agronomy Workshop here in the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site. We have got a crowd that is still here, still asking questions, and we've got the promise, Brian, of even more because I know, I know for sure Caleb said, oh, man, I got a list of questions for you. So it'll be a fun day learning more about soybeans together. Let's get back to another one of these questions. Hi, I'm Mike from Iowa, and I was looking through your uh, soybean plot competition, yep. and I see that, uh, Darren, you did, and some other people put some dextrose in the, in the uh, spray tank when you sprayed your beans. Is this something simple and inexpensive that we could be doing? Did you find it was worthwhile? Well, we aren't doing sugars uh, of any sort on like a huge basis on our farm. Uh, we've we've been using a liquid product, BioSweet, occasionally, just because the liquid was easier to work with sometimes than than dries, uh, and it didn't add a lot of cost. What what many of the guys are doing with some of the microbial products that they're putting out is they want to put some sort of food source, and so they're putting it with microbes and and uh, finding hey, I can increase my population of the microbes, I can keep them alive and, and get them off to a good jump start. So that's one of the places we see it. But here's the other thing. When you're throwing more sugar into the equation, you're also feeding all the bad guys in the soil. And so I, I got a caution. I remember when we were using the product Quickrits, now we, we had that question for, for the guy that created that product. And he's like, oh yeah, sugar will help my product. But it also helps all the competitors too. So if you think... I'm going through one end of the field, and I got a lot of pythium issues out there. Uh, there's a lot more pythium that's already in that field than the tiny little bit of quick grits that you're going to put in the, in your furrow. So maybe you don't want to do it over there. But hey, you're high and dry field where you don't have disease problems, go for it. So I don't know what the right thing to do is with that. I know a lot of guys like to do that foliar. Uh, we asked uh, David Hewlett that. Uh, I don't remember if it was at a field day or at a different meeting or where we were at, but... Uh, we asked him about the sugar thing, and he goes, man, it's so inexpensive, I just throw it in. And it's kind of like, I know sometimes Brian and I will, will get doing a practice that someone will say, well, what did you see for a yield response to that last year? We didn't even do a check. Well, we just did it everywhere. We've been doing it so long, and, and so I don't know. We've done a bunch of trial work on it, and we only had one time where we got a significant gain adding the sugar versus not. So it's something you could definitely try on your farm and, and let us know what you find. But it hasn't been anything that's been eye-popping enough that we've made it a standard practice. For our listening audience, just so you know, Darren had added so the dextrose that he mentioned cost 50 cents an acre. The bio suite was a dollar an acre. So it's not much. And you think about that. If I wanted to even triple my money, it's still less than a bushel of soybeans. Are we ever even going to notice a half bushel of soybeans different? No. So you'd really have to check very, very closely to figure out, okay, is this paying or is it not? Uh, yeah, our, our trial work in the past has, uh, has not shown us a lot, but you know, maybe we'll do some more trials on that in the future. So it's something you'd certainly add. I would say at this point, it's, well, you saw, I didn't have it in any of my stuff, so I didn't think it was a big deal, but maybe it is, especially with some of the microbes. So if we're going to do something microbial, then that's maybe where, where we might place it. All right, let's take another question here. Yeah, Carl from North Dakota. Um, another question on the uh, first steps plots there. Okay. Uh, sure. A couple of the growers, uh, as you mentioned previously, uh, put their beans in... Um, twin rows. Twin rows. Mm -hmm. uh, twin 30s. Yep. 
Just wondering if a good share of the yield benefit that they saw was due to the fact that now you've got a more concentrated root system there, secreting more organic acids. In our high pH soil. Maybe lowering your pH a bit, alleviating IDC. What do, what do you think? I think that's a great thought. I think that definitely well, yeah. did not hurt them. And there's no yeah, question the they population had a lot wasn't higher. canopy. Yeah, but the population wasn't higher. It didn't matter. They had a canopy so much faster. Yeah, but you can't say that the roots are more when the population's the same. So that that's my point. Yes, they, they may have canopied a little bit better. That part I agree with you 100%. But to say that there's more total roots, I don't really think so. Yeah, I don't know. We didn't we didn't have a root volume measurement to know that. Nope. I, I can tell you above ground, the canopy was massive, though. So anyway, uh, you know, when, yeah, I, when I'm, I I'm with you. I think I think common sense says those roots may have had a little more room when when you space the plants I, out to to get a little bigger. But, well, yeah, but that wasn't that. I don't think that's where he was going. See, it was the more organic oh, yeah, acids. Was. Yeah, it was the was. more organic acids. Yeah, see, more organic acids. I don't think there was any more in the one versus the other. What we've typically seen, and, and even today, if you look at data, will we'll usually show you the further north you go, the more narrow rows will pay. Part of that is because of the, the limited growing season that you have, and we want to capture as much sunlight as possible. So you think about a 30-inch row soybean. At what point do we canopy? Sometimes we don't even fully canopy. So we've not captured as much sunlight as we can. So theoretically, this is why even for Darren and me, we got a drill a few years ago to go back to doing some drilled beans because we had a stretch. Well, if you think about 2012 to 2014, we had almost no rain until we got to the middle of the summer in 2014. So we had some years there where it's like, oh, no white mold, no white mold, no white mold. Maybe, maybe it's just gone. Let's it's go gone. back and do some it's drilling gone. again. Oh, it's we found forever. the white mold again. So that, that, if it wasn't for the stupid white mold, I can almost guarantee you we'd have drilled beans here on our farm just because of that. It's the capturing sunlight. But then, like Darren also brought up, it's that canopy. We know we'll have better weed control. And look at how many people are fighting weeds today. I mean, you'll fight fewer weeds if you have drilled beans as opposed to 30-inch row beans, for sure. All right, All take right. another question over here. Marlon from Sibley, Iowa. As far as uh, the three pre's and soybeans, uh, almost all the granimists in my area seem to be recommending using a group two instead of a five or even a, using group 15 twice. Uh, so I was wondering what your <laughs> thoughts are on that. Yep, so if you listen to anybody in the world talk about weed resistance, the first thing they're gonna say is use multiple effective modes of action. And if we've got a, an ALS herbicide, a group two, that's not gonna kill my target number which, one which would be target pigweed. Weed. Is pigweed your number one weed? Yep, yep. water yep. hemp, yep. So if, if the ALS won't kill it, then you're down to one effective mode of action left. And it's like, okay, if we keep using it and using it and using it, what do we think is going to happen? I don't have to be real smart to figure that one out. So my, question, a lot of times, my questions are always around, so have you seen it work better in your trials, number one? Is it cheaper, number two? And do you even carry these other products that you're telling me not to use? Because if my answer is no on any of those, it's like, well, why would I consider it? If it's not a better weed control program that's cheaper and you have access to everything, and you say, well, here's my program that's better and cheaper. Cool, I'll switch. But if it's more expensive, you don't even carry the products that I want, 
and it doesn't work quite as well, it's out the door. And I, I think that's the case, that it's going to be all three of those to the negative side. So part of the reason why we do our workshops, our TV show, our radio show, is just to get people thinking a little bit because, I mean, everybody in the room here, you're all super smart, okay? And I realize you may not talk about a lot of these things every day like some of these agronomists do, but if you just stop for a second and think logically about any of these things, it will allow you to maybe challenge the agronomist a little more and say, wait a second here. Why, why am I using only one effective mode of action? Sooner or later, I'm going to have a problem. Ultimately, remember, they work for you, not the other way around. You're the boss. And so I just say, look, I got to have a minimum of two or three or whatever you choose effective modes of action. Give me what you think then your best plan is. And you can't count ALS because we know darn well that's not going to kill the water hemp. So anyway, I, I just say, too, there are a lot of people that just hit the easy button and say, well, I don't know. I like this company rep, and he says this product's good, and whatever, it's fine. Well, I just look at, we gave you 167 pages worth of resource today. That's the reason you're here, to gain that knowledge. The other piece of knowledge that you really need to work with the suppliers in this industry is fertility. You really need to understand your soil test. You really need to understand exactly what you need to raise that crop because the worst recommendations we see in our whole business are the fertility recommendations. Now, to the environmental side, generally they're using too little fertilizer uh, in many cases, or they're just focusing on only NP and K and not everything that you need for that crop. So it's not like they're doing anything terrible for the environment, but for your dollars and cents, you gotta understand that because it'll make you so much more money. All right, we got more questions to get to right after this short break. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther Power in your tank. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Don't let resistant weeds win on your field. Herbicide-resistant weeds are a fierce competitor of corn growers. Tough 5EC, a selective contact herbicide manufactured by Belgium Crop Protection, can help. Tough 5EC synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Add Tough 5EC to your post-emergence tank mix team and beat resistant weeds. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market, making claims of improving soil health and plant development. 
but which products will work best on your farm. Well, that's why we're devoting a full day to our first ever Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Wednesday, February 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. Soybean growers are dealing a swift blow to tough broad leaves and grasses with the two-in-one power of Moccasin MTZ. Moccasin MTZ combines the power of s metolachlore and a higher load of Metribuzin for outstanding weed control right from the outset with extended residual control to keep tough weeds down, including pigweed, water hemp, ragweed, and mare's tail. In addition to annual grasses like foxtail and barnyard grass, ask your retailer about Moccasin MTZ and always read and follow label directions. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva AgriScience, the newest premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like... Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com soy. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, man, we're getting so many questions here following the Ag PhD soybean workshop here at the Morton Center on the Ag PhD field. They say let's get back for more questions right now. Ron from Iowa. You've done a wonderful job with these test plots, five years of that. And I was wondering, is there any way, I mean, a lot of these guys were getting 100 bushels the acre, and you guys were too. Is there a way that you could give a, a sample of what you would actually do in your normal fa- farming operation oh. without all the specialty things that you have to do to get 100 bushels a acre? Sure, sure. Do you want to pull that slide up, Brian? You just had a slide like Which that you one? put together uh, last you week for that group that we were talking with last week. You had kind of here's our standard practice. Would that be a good example of that you could put up on the screen? Okay. Okay, so, so when we look at it um, – Let's, let's just start from the weed control standpoint. We start with the three pre's, like we were saying, and typically we're going to make a couple passes post. The, the first one we're going to include in soybeans, to, specifically today, we're going to include volunteer corn herbicide in that first pass, uh, and we're going to go out after some broad leaves. We're often going to add in one of those Warrant Ultra or Anthem uh, Max out there to, to try to get um, additional residual weed control. And then the last post-emerge application, we're planting Enlist soybeans this year on our farm, so we're probably going to run with Enlist 1 at about R1, somewhere right in that stage, and hope that's good. If we need to throw a volunteer corn herbicide out, we might possibly make a second application at that point with a volunteer corn herbicide. We might even just spend the money and double the rate and put it in there with the Enlist 1, uh, but I think we might make a separate pass if we run into that. From an insect control, we're always looking at bugs. And this is something that isn't expensive. We're always concerned about, have we got bean leaf beetles? Have we got soybean aphids? Have we got grasshoppers? If we can spray the borders for grasshoppers and keep them out of the field, we'll do it. If we've got to spray the whole field for one of those other bugs, we'll do it. And our thresholds are really low. We don't want to see bugs in our field. They add stress to our crop. Oftentimes, they're vectors for disease. We just don't want to fight that. So we're, we're really aggressive on bugs. If we see bugs out there that shouldn't be, we're going to get after them. Um, then when it comes to disease control, like Brian was talking about, we're typically just spraying fungicides in the reproductive stages. 
If we've got white mold, we'll start at R1 and come back again about three weeks later. If we don't have white mold in that particular field, then we'll just spray at R2 to R3 one time, and that's typically it for us. Um, from a fertility standpoint, we're going to try to, uh, to build our soils up. We've seen soybeans respond very well to fertility in the soil. So we're shooting for all those fertility targets that we've talked about at our fertility seminar and even today getting our base saturation K up over four, even in our heavy soils. I know it's a lot of pounds out there, but, man, we get more gains when we have higher levels of K most years. So that's been a big deal for us, and adding that K has gotten us bigger soybeans. So we haven't necessarily noticed that our pod counts or bean counts have gone up tremendously, but our size of the beans has gone up really big time. We used to have a lot of seed in the 3,000, 3,200 seeds per pound. Now we got a lot of seed that's in the 2,200, 2,400 seeds per pound. So it's big. And when you do that, the other thing that you're going to see fertility-wise is adding copper. Because when you've got beans that big, they break that seed coat a lot of times and they, they, you see cracks in the seed coat or even splits. So we put more copper on so we have more stretch to that seed coat too. And then Brian's got some other things up here. I don't know. Is there anything I missed on that? Yeah. So this is just on the chem side of things, not on the fertility side. Uh, so what we were talking about with that, it, so we, we will do the three pre thing on our farm. I will say too, we've done some fall application. You could do the same stuff in the fall if you want to, late fall. Metribuzin doesn't hang on super long, so I'd be a little leery about that, but everything else is fine. Uh, the early post side, we don't typically do that because we don't have a lot of weedy fields anymore. So usually that's the ones that we would cut. And then mid to late June, probably mid-June, we're probably out there with uh, volunteer corn herbicide plus Roundup plus on our farm we're going in list one. And then we're going to most likely repeat that once we get to R1 or as late as we can go. Let's call it July 4th, July 10th, whatever, uh, the latest possible. So we'll probably hit twice with that. We'd like to go Liberty for the early shot instead of Enlist 1, but we can't because the price is just too high for Liberty this year. And, uh, yeah, then it's later on we're doing these fungicide, insecticide shots. Fungicide for sure, insecticide most likely because we, we just have had enough issues over the years. So those are, on the chem side of things, a lot of the best practices. But the biggest things that have helped us for soybean yield, number one is drain tile, and number two is soil fertility, especially potassium. And like we were talking about today, maybe we need to look harder at the magnesium to potassium ratio. We're looking at some micronutrient things like phosphorus to zinc, phosphorus to copper, stuff like that. So just starting to make more tweaks to that side. But, I mean, overall, our bean yields have been pretty decent other than... You know, we've gotten hit by, in 2020, drought, 2019, flood, 2018, flood, and this year, we had a bunch of hail. So, literally, we lost, uh, let's see, 150 acres in 20, what year was it, 18 or 19, fall of 2019 to flood. Oh, I know. Uh, I mean, we, we still see pictures oh. on Ag PhD every time <laughs> we talk about that on the TV show, and the guys will say... So what do you think of those pictures, Darren? I'm like, that's my farm ground. I don't want to look at that anymore. That once was enough for me. Yep. So anyway, things happen. But It's fun, uh, it's fun farming by the river sometimes. Yeah. But, but anyway, I, I, I'd say bean yields overall on our farm have been pretty good. It, it wasn't all that many years ago, probably 20 years ago, we were averaging 35 bushel beans is all. It was pitiful. But we fixed drainage, we fixed fertility, and you could just see the yields go way up. Dramatic.
All right, right. Brian, one other thing that came up uh, earlier today, and I had a couple guys ask me about this. They said, hey, uh, what's going on with Lord's Band? If we can't get it anymore, we can't use it anymore, what can we switch to because the pyrethroids haven't worked? Now, both these questions came from Western Minnesota, and it was predominantly around soybean aphids, which we do have a couple solutions for aphids other than Lord's Band. But in general, when we lose a chemistry like that, uh, there's got to be well, some it adjustments. Yeah, it stinks that we did. Um, yeah, you could run with dimethoate as a replacement. It's the same chemical family. There are other products, too, that you but, can but use. But not quite as good as Lord's Band. Not no. quite as broad spectrum. And no, no. Uh, otherwise, you could certainly go with Transform or Safina to kill resistant aphids. And there are some, some new products, new combinations. Uh, so, yeah, and like on spider mites, we have miticides. We also still have Capture Brigade. So we got some options. Let's get back to, I think we got time for one more question here. Travis from southeast Minnesota. Earlier you were talking about Group 15's post and soybeans, yeah. and it's hard to get great control because you can never use a full rate. Um, with the run-up in Duel this year, we switched to Anthem Max for Zidua. Yep. What do you guys like post? Do you still you like Warrant or are you an Outlook guys? What do you like? So which Group 15 you're saying do we like? If they yeah. all cost the exact same money. Yeah, assuming price was not yep. an option, what do you like best? Yep, okay, so for our area where we're much drier than you are, I would prefer Warrant because Warrant, is this, it's got the same active ingredient as Harness. It takes the least amount of moisture to activate, and it's the best on the small-seeded broadleaves. And those are our challenges. We need, uh, well, we don't have a lot of rain, and we have small-seed broadleaves, like water, hemp, and kosher. Uh, in your area, and a lot of people, as you go east of you, really like that Zidual. So what's in Anthem Max? Because that's almost as good on the broadleaves, the small-seeded broadleaves, as Warrant. And while it takes more rain to activate, it also will hang on in the soil longer. So if I can get a little longer residual when I'm getting lots of rain, that could be pretty valuable. I'm not saying dual is bad. I'm not saying Outlook is bad. They're both fine. Well, and, and, but and dual or Metallicore has preference. been by far the cheapest yes. over the years until yeah. this year. And so at yep. that point, if you said, okay, Brian, you'd have to spend 10 bucks to get a Warrant exactly. or an Anthem or three bucks to get Metallicore, what would you do? Well, at that point, it's like, eh, you know, I don't have heavy weed pressure out here. I might go with the Metallicore. And honestly, they had a huge market share they were building up, and a lot of yep. generics were getting involved because there's so much market there to be had. But now all of a sudden we run into the supply chain things, and a lot of those are imported. And all of a sudden, that's the highest price thing. Sometimes, sometimes people say, well, take price out of the equation. What do you like best? And I'm like, wait a second. I can't ever take price out of the equation. I'm a farmer. So that's, that's always got to be something we look at. So we're willing to sacrifice a little bit of control because we can hit it with something else in a different way if I can save enough money. But yeah, this year... I, I, in my geography, I'm probably looking at Warrant or Post-Emerge. I, I like Warrant Ultra because it's got the Flexstar active ingredient in there. Or in your geography, Anthem Max. And the nice thing with Anthem Max, too, low use rate. So you don't have to have bulk tanks or anything else. It's got the Zidua, and then it's got the Cadet in there, too. Well, I've had a fun time today talking about soybeans at the Soybean Workshop because we hear so many farmers that say, my corn yields are good, but my soybean yields are not there yet. I don't run into very many farmers that say, my soybean yields are unbelievable and my corn stinks. So it's fun working through some of these solutions and, and talking with other farmers to learn from them as well. Thanks for listening to Ag PhD Radio. Be sure to join us again each weekday for our next show.